Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 40, What Not to Do in Linux, recorded February 19th, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Today is a two-man show. It's just me and my good friend, Chris. Hey, Chris, what's going on? Woot, woot. We're doing a <laughs> wonderful day today, right? Yes. <laughs> um, as, as was mentioned a few weeks ago, Seth is going to be out for a while. Uh, dealing with uh, a convalescing mother, and Aaron sent a cryptic text message saying, I've been up since 3 o'clock, can you do the show without me? So I don't know where he's been or why, but it's just the two of us tonight, and that's okay, because uh, other than their usual rapier wit, uh, there's probably not going to be a lot of content they could provide tonight, because this is about mistakes we've made in Linux. And, and there's the, so, the, ma- so many of them. Right. <laughs> the Linux noob. And the uh, uh, end user representative probably wouldn't have had a whole lot to talk about there. Uh, so tonight we're just going to talk about those things that uh, you should never do, even if a well-intentioned person tells you to. Along with a lot of horrible stories from us, I'm sure. <laughs> well, I don't know. It, it's probably not going to be a, a very positive or uplifting show, but it's important. Uh, I, I do want to say really quickly, um, the feedback has been lighting up lately uh, for this show and for others. Uh, we've been getting uh, emails pretty much every day and, and forum posts, and thanks for that. We really appreciate that. It's nice to know that you're actually out there and listening. So um, thanks for uh, for letting us know, and, and we... Uh, even though we may not respond to all of that, I do try to respond to everything, but in, in case I get caught up and don't, do know that we are listening and we are paying attention. Definitely. All right. That's all there is to that. We were just talking before we went on the show about a, uh, a new, it's not new in the fact that it's new. It's just new to me. A new Linux distribution that I came across this week called Zorin OS, Z-O-R-I-N. And uh, Zorin is essentially a uh, Ubuntu derivative. It's 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 Ubuntu uh, hacked. And right. Their goal is to be as much like Windows visually as possible. So they have uh, different modes. They have a look changer where you can just sort of go into the uh, um, con- c- control panel that KDE has. It's 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 based on KDE and uh, select basically it's themes that they've they've pre-compiled for you. But you can make it look like Windows 7 or Windows XP or even all the way back to Windows 2000 if you want. Um, and it really does uh, look alike and work like. Um, you know, they've, they've uh, custom hacked some of the tools um, like the, um, uh, what's the, ex- the file manager? I just blanked. The file manager in KDE. Nautilus? Nautilus. Or right. no, in KDE, it would no. be Dolphin. Dolphin. They've, they've hacked Dolphin to work a little more uh, Explorer-like in the way it, it opens windows and things. So it, it's just, uh, again, it's still Ubuntu, but it's uh, made to sort of ease the transition if you're a long-time Windows user or you're trying to, to uh, help uh, somebody who is a long-time Windows user. My, my personal preference, uh, opinion on that, rather, is that I think it's actually a bad idea. Because, uh, and Linspire did this years ago, which uh, um, it, it was called... Windows at one point, that's right. And window Microsoft sued them saying it was too close to Windows. And some judge agreed, which I think is stupid. Windows is not even a word. Right. It so happened it's like Windows, but it's not. But they called it copyright infringement anyway. So they changed the name to Linspire. And their goal too was to be as much like Windows as possible. And I think what happens is when you make something look 
like Windows, people start to expect it to do stuff Windows can do. Like, for example, I should be able to go grab my um, favorite video game that runs on Windows and load it up. And then they find that it doesn't. Or that, you know, when they go to open uh, Microsoft Office, you know, they don't have Microsoft Office. They have, have K Office or, uh, or Open Office or something like that in there, which is fine, but it's not the same. So I think it's a little, I, I think when you're introducing newbies to Linux, you need to, them to understand from the beginning, this isn't Windows. And so to fool, to, to visually fool them into thinking they're on Windows, I think is a bad move in the long run. Yeah, I think it kind of pollutes the whole environment because then I always go to the idea that if you're going to switch, you might as well do a blank switch and just either learn to use it or then you now have that option of, of then going back. But I don't think it's a good idea to, to mix that type of transition, maybe for a week or you know a couple months, but not permanently. Yeah. And and there, there are a lot of things out there that try to do that. I remember... Uh, when when I first introduced my students where I work at school uh, to uh, Windows uh, to, to Linux rather, I downloaded a uh, custom IceWM manager, um, which looked almost exactly like Windows XP, and that and eased their transition into it for only about you know forty five seconds until you know it doesn't take long to realize it's not Windows. It may look like Windows, and then it's even more frustrating because. Yep. It, this looks like Windows. Why isn't it doing what I, I think it should do? Where if you set them down in a totally foreign environment, they tend to be much more open to differences. You can say, look, here's here's the tasks that you can do. Here's web browsing and all that sort of stuff. Here's document creation and that sort of stuff. But they understand from the get-go that this is not Windows, and they tend to be more open to differences that way. Yep. And then, well, then there, there, there's no expectation for, you know, like you were saying, for having windows programs work natively they 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 understand that this isn't windows then if they're in an abrupt change like that and and the uh zorin os guys you know, talk about the fact that they have wine pre-installed and so that you can run windows apps again that's that's a mistake in my opinion because when wine is good but it's not windows and so i wouldn't call it good <laughs> well i think <laughs> it's, it is. it's a band-aid <laughs> uh yeah a band-aid's a good way to put it uh but it's you know, it doesn't take long in running things under Wine to realize it's not Windows. And there's stuff that either doesn't work at all or doesn't work well or works but's just different. And so if, if you're going to run into those differences anyway, don't don't mask them. Just start from the beginning with, uh, you know, KDE desktop. Right. Which is my favorite desktop. Right. Uh, somebody, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, you know, you, you get those questions that people ask you that, they're asking one question, but they want the answer to another question. Somebody sent me a message earlier this week and said, I'm downloading this Linux distribution, uh, and I have the option of doing KDE or GNOME. Which would you choose? Well, the answer to that is GNOME is which I would choose. But the answer I wrote back, which is the real ask question they're asking, is which should I download KDE? Because if you're entirely new to uh, Linux, KDE is the way to go, uh, primarily because of the the flux in gnome right now and the way it's people can't agree on on what's going on is it gnome 2 is it gnome 3 is it is it uh, unity or you know um and so kde is simpler right now plus i think it's more noob friendly so they asked the question which would you download and the question they got was which do i think you should download <laughs> which is what matters to them anyway right can you can you think of other questions like that the the questions 
that they ask aren't the questions they mean to ask? Like, which which printer should I buy? Yeah, printer or browser. Which browser should I use? Yeah, but but then wait, the, but they say which browser do you use? You know, and what they're asking is which should I use? Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh, or which brand of laptop? I get that one a lot too. Right. What, what, what do you think, Chris? What now for uh, a college student, um, you know, a high school student going into college, which laptop would you recommend they buy? Oh, um, you know, now are we talking strictly college work, no gaming or Facebook gaming type idea? Uh, well, yeah, I'm just thinking general purpose stuff a college kid would do. Uh, you know, if, he, if he's a hardcore gamer, he's going to be picking his own hardware anywhere. I'm thinking... You know, the, the head cheerleader who's just going off to college and, and, you know, needs a computer. What I would say is is go with um, a Dell, but then pay for the three-year on-site warranty. Because then that covers if someone drops it or spills or stuff like that. Yeah. What, what I tell people when they ask me that, and I get asked it, uh, you know, every week, is I send them to the Dell Inspiron page and say, pick your favorite color. Yeah. Because uh, I think right now that's the best value for your money. I say get the Core i5 and as much RAM as you can afford. And those machines, because uh, uh, the question I got this week was, uh, should I uh, buy my kid a laptop or an iPad? And and for me, that was that was a no-brainer. Because you yep. get a Dell Inspiron for 600 bucks. An iPad costs almost 600 bucks, 800 if you get the one with uh, uh, with all the bells and whistles. And, uh, and then with a laptop, you can actually do stuff. <laughs> you can yep. actually create content. And with a laptop, you can't. I mean, with a, an iPad, you can't. You see, and then I always add to the point where if they are going off to college or even for a home user, order up a copy of Carbonite for only the, what, $4 a month? That's exactly, and that's funny because the next thing I said, I sent them two links. The first one link was um, uh, the Inspiron page on the Dell website, and the second link was Carbonite.com because, yeah, I said <laughs> you, you, you don't want to send your kid off to college without this. It's, it's 60 bucks a year, and it works flawlessly, at least every time I ever have. And uh, even if you never use it, it's well worth the $60 for the possibility that you might someday need that term paper right now. Yeah. And see, I always equate it to the, to the insurance idea. Right. You know, you know, you never know if you're ever going to want it or you, ever, you never know if you're going to use it. But for, uh, for the, the $6 a month or whatever, it's a good insurance plan. Right. And in fact, with, uh, with insurance, you hope you never use it. I mean, we all yep. buy insurance hoping we never use it. And that's the thing with Carbonite. I, I have Carbonite installed hoping that I never use it. But uh, I have used it one time, and uh, it was you know it was perfect. It was flawless. So, um, yeah, Carbonite, there are others, but that's the one that I like. So there you go, yep. Carbonite, a free ad. Yeah, come on, Carbonite, send us a couple of bucks. <laughs> <laughs> then it wouldn't be a free ad. Now, we are well. also talking about, before the show, uh, some I know some people uh, who listen are interested in in the mechanics of of podcasting and the stuff I go through. This audience more than others because this uh, tends to be our our propeller head audience. Um, and <laughs> tinfoil hats, right? <laughs> the tinfoil hat club. Um, I've been I was testing a new again. It's not new. It's it's just something that was new to me. Um, recording software called um, Reaper FM, and it's uh, free for personal use and really cheap for small business use, like on the order of $60. And it's, and it's, it's really high, high power. It's, it's essentially, it's not just a recording tool. It's a digital mixer. So if you have, um, 
some sort of USB or Firewire input into your computer, um, as I do here with the mixer that I use, it becomes an entire mixer with with the ability to route sound and and do mix minus if you know what that means and have different bus in, infinite number of buses and you it has built in compression effects and and well, all sorts of effects. It's got it's got uh, gates and 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 compressors and all. It's really good for what it is. Um, and I tested a couple of uh, episodes of this show and of the Tightwad Tech, recording both in it and in Audacity. And I ended up going back to Audacity for one reason and one reason only, noise filtration. Audacity is the only tool that I know of that has a good, intelligent noise filter. Now, if you have a pristine environment where there's not a lot of noise, then it's that's fine. But sitting a couple of inches from me right now, there's a heater going. And those listening to the live stream might hear the little static from that. But by the time it's edited, you'll never know that. And in the summer, I have a very large air conditioner, which is really loud. Um, and so you might say, well, I have uh, a quiet studio. I don't need that. All right, but are you connecting to other people? And can you count on what's going on in their environment? Uh, a couple of people that we dial up, Aaron, on this show, always has a very noisy connection. And we, we have yet to figure out what that is. But you never hear it when it goes to the show because of Audacity's noise filter. And I've never found anything else that can do that in the same way that Audacity does. So if I'm going to have to be opening it up in Audacity anyway to filter it, I might as well go ahead and do my editing there. Yeah. Um, so it's it just a good, it, well, it's a good idea. And then you also get the fact that you can take out my noise too from right. know, the kids and whatnot. <laughs> now, if, for people who know about recording, you can use a gate and that will, the, that will gate the noise when they're not talking. So there's, you know, there's background noise that you don't hear, but when they're talking, you still hear the roar of the air conditioner over them. Audacity's noise filter is so good that it takes it out even while they're talking. And so you only hear, you know, maybe tiny little bits. Now, uh, noise reduction is a, a double-edged sword that can cut your own head off as well as, as the, the noise if you're not careful. You, so you got to play with the settings. you got to dial it in. If you're too aggressive and if you've listened to some of the early stuff that Element OP Productions did, even before we were Element OP Productions, um, you could hear the digital artifacts created by noise reduction. It, uh, it, it sounded sort of like a clipping cell phone call. Uh, but, you know, over the last two and a half years, I've, I've sort of found settings that work and they get rid of the noise without any uh, digital artifacts or without many. Um, you know, only the golden ears, Pete, I'm talking to you, will hear it. Uh, nobody else will notice it. And so that anyway, I just thought I'd mention that if you're into podcasting. In fact, if you are into podcasting, uh, we're starting up a new show um, that we don't have a name for yet uh, about podcasting. It's going to be a podcast on podcasting. It's going to be me. It's going to be Steve uh, Cherubino of the Podnuts Network, and it's going to be Professor Messer um, of ProfessorMesser.com. And we're just going to get together every week and talk about podcasting in general. And we're going to do our first show tonight. So if you're listening live, stick around after this show, and we're going to do uh, our first show there. So uh, look for that to come out in the in the couple of weeks as we uh, get things uh, finalized. But I think it'll be interesting. And if you have any name suggestions, let me know. Well, like I already said one because I always like to play on the, my three sons. So it's my three chiefs. Because <laughs> I thought that would be pretty good. Yeah. Uh, right. Well, the one that I like right now is the pod people for yeah, podcasting. You know, and and that that evokes great imagery. Good good uh, uh, album art I could come up with there with like uh, you know the the pod coming out with uh, with uh, uh, you know uh, invasion of the body snatcher style. 
yeah, that would work. <laughs> but we'll see. Um, it's it's been interesting because we are so busy. We all have um, a busy. Li- I mean, I'm doing right now on average thirty hours a week of this. And I don't know how much Steve does, but it's a lot. And uh, and Professor Messer is. He's got his day job, plus he does all his videos and stuff, plus he's now getting into podcasting. So, um, you know, there's it's hard to find schedules. And so that's why, like, right now we're doing 11 p.m. Sunday night. Uh, so Ouch. it's uh, it's going to be interesting to to get three busy people together on a weekly basis. Um, and so it may not end up not even being weekly, but we'll see how it goes. So look for that in the uh, in the near future. Chris, we all will. How do you feel about first-person shooters? I love first-person shooters. <laughs> there, it's a good way to burn off some steam after dealing with all my taxes, getting all my paperwork together, and and all that jazz. It's just, oh, I hate this time of year. I get such a headache. Which then, yeah, I need to blow off some steam because it's just, yeah. <laughs> I haven't even started my taxes yet, and I usually wait until the first week of April. And then I've got 10 days to do it. And then I'm motivated. And so uh, I have to sit down and do it. See, we, we try to start the process January 31st when all of, you know, the W-2s are coming in. We usually start rounding. That's our cue to get all the paperwork together. Because once, the, once the, the W-2s are here, if we don't get the paperwork started, at least getting it rounded up and all the receipts and everything, then it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> it becomes quite big of a mess. Yeah, and it's it's anybody out there who owns a business knows that that adds a whole new wrinkle uh, to if you do the uh, the itemization and amortizing things, uh, also that you know the federal government can can give it all to somebody else. Yep, pretty much. I'm hoping this year we don't have to pay in too much. Yeah, let me let me just give a little word of advice to uh, non-Americans out there. I, I don't know how it works in your country, but in the U.S. Uh, people get tend to get all excited if they get a tax rebate, meaning that throughout the year they have paid in too much taxes. Okay, if you get a tax rebate, especially if it's a big tax rebate, like if you get three or four thousand dollars back, that means that you gave the government four hundred dollars every month tax free that they could use, um, and you're excited when they're giving it back. Uh, yep. a, a tax a tax rebate is like a mugger giving you back cab fare. It's it's not something to be excited about. So yeah, like you, I try to always owe something. I mean, the ideal tax return is comes out to a nice big zero. But if I can write a check for twenty dollars at the end of the year, then I've done everything exactly right. You know, I, I've I have been keeping my own money uh, and spending it in my own uh, uh, intelligent way, rather than letting them spend it in their own dumb way and not give me any interest for it. And then at yeah. the end, I owe them a little bit. Sure. Well, and the, the nice thing is too is if you can if you can get your your you know your claiming right and everything else, and you get that big zero, then that means whatever you were getting before in returns, you could actually be stuffing that much money away anyway. And then on when your tax returns would be back normal, you can just go take that out of your own bank account and have interest on it. Right. And I know one of my good friends actually has extra money taken out of his check every every month. So that he'll get a bigger return. He calls that his savings account because he says we're not disciplined. We wouldn't save that otherwise. So we have that happen at the uh, the payroll deduction level. And I'm like, well, you can go and have your payroll deduction go to anything else. You can have it uh, put into a 401k. You can have it put into 
um, uh, a checking account or a savings account. There are lots of other ways that you could do the exact same thing and benefit from your money. Now, admittedly, right now in the U.S., um, putting something in savings only earns you less than 1%, but still, the government's giving you 0%. So it's, right. it's smarter to keep your own money. And also, if at any point during the year you need that money, you have it. In the case of the government, you don't. You have to wait until they get around to processing your paperwork, hope they don't make a mistake, and then you send, send you back your own money. It's just not the smart way to do it, in my opinion. Right. And because of all the lovely tax issues, and for those that don't know, my, I do run a, a small home business shop. This time of year instantly gives me insomnia. <laughs> so if, if, if you guys get a recording of me and I, you know, on the ones that are watching the video, you see me do this a lot. It's because the insomnia is starting to kick my butt. So, uh, yeah, insomnia sucks. Yeah, I've been there. I dealt with that uh, most of my uh, teen life. Uh, there, I would go months without sleeping. I really think it uh, uh, may be a, a form of bipolar disorder uh, where the mania affects your sleeping patterns. But I think during high school, on average, I slept two or three hours a night. And it's not that you're not tired. I mean, you feel tired from, from not sleeping. You just can't oh, yeah. stay asleep. Yep. Yeah, so, it, it's a it's a rough thing, but you know, I'll have my runs where I'll be super super running just constantly and not having any issues with the lack of sleep. And then there'll be other days where it'll just be like, "All right, stick a fork in me. I'm done." Yeah. <laughs> well, I, uh, having recently gone through the experience myself, Chris, I, I might encourage you to to have a sleep study done. It's unpleasant and expensive, <laughs> but uh, the end results may be worth it. Yeah, maybe it might be something I look into after I get my knee fixed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like to be able to walk. And so, yeah, my knee works up before my insomnia does. Yeah, For those of you who don't know, Chris has blown out his knee, what, three times in the last two years? Is that right? Twice. Twice. Twice in two years. So uh, he's got issues there. Okay. Well, and hopefully I'll get them fixed. Hopefully. Knock on wood. Yeah. <laughs> well, if worst case scenario... The, we live in a world where they can just put new knees in. So, yeah, I'm a little young for new knees, though. Yeah. I, I again, this is totally has nothing to do with Linux, but I, I was involved in a car accident in college, and pretty much destroyed my left knee. There's there's like no cartilage left there at all, and uh, it's one of those things. That it's it's inevitable. At some point, they'll have to put a new knee in, but they have a life expectancy of you know ten to twenty years at most. So if I do it now and endure all that pain and expense when I'm sixty. We're going to have to do it all over again. So yeah. Yeah, it is something you put off as long as possible. Okay, so on to actual Linux stuff. We don't have any Linux news this week because Chris and I are lazy and Seth wasn't here to do it. So uh, we'll move straight <laughs> on to uh, really what started the whole thing was an article uh, Chris found on the uh, UbuntuGuide.org website uh, called Malicious Linux Commands. Basically, if some um, Weisenheimer tells you to enter these commands, don't do it. So, Chris, give us a quick rundown of that. Well, some of the more dangerous ones would be like the uh, when you're giving yourself the, su the super user level access and someone tells you to RM hyphen or space hyphen RF star. That's a scary, scary command to do because that actually deletes everything on your hard drive. And it, what the, the command actually reads out would be would be remove or what is it? Remove. I don't remember what the M means. Remove. Anyway, 
<laughs> and then F is force, and then R means recursive. So that would be remove everything from the top of the directory all the way down until it's all gone. And that literally will – you might as well format your hard drive at that point. Right. Well, um, uh, some of the other ones Pete, – Pete's putting in the chat room – uh, it's DD. Basically, it's a command that writes random data over your hard drive and erases your yep. hard drive. And I've seen that um, in uh, in forums before. You know, it's the same mentality as people who like to smash windows or or knock over mailboxes. I don't understand why people yep. think wanton destruction is fun. But uh, if you're a total Linux newbie and you're trolling the internet, uh, maybe you want to. And I'll have the link in the show notes. Maybe you want to keep this page handy and compare anything somebody tells you to do with it. Yeah. The the couple that really stand out are the fork bomb. That one really, it won't, it won't break your computer, but you, it, you'll have to power, you'll have to hard power your, your machine off in order to, to get it to let go. Because what it does is it just automatically, well, it, it's, it's a loop is what it basically does. Right. And so your your machine is constantly trying to execute the same thing over and over and over and over, which then crashes your machine out. Yeah, if you're familiar with programming, it's like having a loop that says do while, do while. And yep. it just keeps doing the same thing over and over. And you know, those and I don't have a Linux tip of the week or a, a command line tip because this website lists enough of them that says don't, you know, do not do these command lines. So that's why I'm gonna. That's why I started this thing. Is this, I saw some of these, and there's a couple in here that, wow, I would hate to have been trying to clean up after a couple of those commands. Right, and and that uh, leads to a point that we wanted to say. Um, if you're looking for help, and we we often espouse going to forums if you if you run into trouble looking for help, uh, don't necessarily blindly follow instructions on websites, which is counterintuitive. To what we've said before, because I often say I follow websites, but you need to um, have an idea of the um, trustworthiness of what you're seeing there. If you go to like the official Ubuntu forum and a mod there, an administrator gives you these commands, then it is fairly safe. But if you're just on, you know, Bob's blogs and stuff website and he lists, you know, click this and it'll it'll uh, let you play blu-rays which doesn't happen at all you know if the commands are too good to be true um maybe you should not do it or you know or type that text into a search engine and see what you come up with yeah um another thing that you'll see a lot of is the copy paste of the command lines that's a big thing that people post up in you know web how to's and right. and forum posts um kind of look at them a little bit to see what the command is actually doing. Uh, I know the commands may be a little cryptic, but if you just search the first part of it, like Mark, you have in here FC, FSCK, which would be F check file or system file system check. check. Yeah. Um, if you don't know what that command is, Google search it, look it up in, in something like the O'Reilly's Linux pocket guide for, you know, command lines or they, they make it. O'Reilly does a really <laughs> great command line book. That just lists everything. That's um, why we call you the command line godfather, because you carry with you an O'Reilly's pocket guide to the Linux command line. I do. I actually am looking to buy the newer version because mine's gotten a little tattered and warped, and you know, the snow has ate it a couple of times, and it fell out of my backpack. Um, I bet yeah. it's on the Kindle. It is, but I don't want to pay the Kindle price. <laughs> <laughs> because at the point where, where this is, 
I whip it out so many different times that it takes too long to open it in the Kindle. Funny. So this is one of those rare things where the Kindle's great, but when you're just flipping through to find a command, it's faster to use have have it on paper than it is to try and type in the search, you know, by letter by letter. For now, me, at least, I have many, many times, probably more times than I should admit, copy and pasted code directly from the web into my terminal, uh, and and just run that. Um, and yeah, Chris is cringing. <laughs> it's not. It's not entirely wise, but I, I will confess to having done it many times because. Um, even, you know, a seasoned Linux user like myself, I, I'm always reluct- reluctant to call myself a, a Linux pro, even though I've been using it for almost 15 years now. Um, there are, there's more to know than can be known, right? So you can't know everything. Right. And so sometimes, like if you're setting up a new web service or something and you're on the website of the people who develop that, the copying and pasting is really the only thing you do because you can't understand what they've done. You can't understand their code. Um, but like Chris says, you need to, to have, do some due diligence, you know, yep. uh, um, try to understand at least a little bit what you're doing. Like recently I was setting up a, a Kaltura installation installation. If you don't know what Kaltura is, think, uh, YouTube hosted on your own server. So it, it converts video and, and it's really cool. I was setting up for the school. Now, the only place to get Kaltura help is at Kaltura.org because, you know, that's just kind of what it is. So when I was setting it up, I literally found their official how-to created by the community there and went through and copied and pasted step-by-step. Step. Uh, didn't understand what I was doing. Was just hoping for the best. I will say I was doing this on a VM that I could just blow away and, and redo. I didn't really care about it. Uh, but uh, sometimes it's really the only thing you can do. But understand when you do that, the risk that you're taking. Yeah. It's just like running some executable software that you downloaded from a peer-to-peer site or some weird, obscure screensaver that you found for Windows. Right. You know, that's that's the, basically the same risk you're taking because you don't know what those commands are running. And you may be copying command that is actually like obscure code. Right. And then that's even a bigger risk. Because then you don't even know what they're doing. It could be copying all your home directory before it wipes your machine to the bad guys for, right. for you know, it put my toil, my tinfoil hat on and that's the only other thing you could have. And, and, let's, and, Pete, let's, and I was going to say, Pete go. brings up a good point in here in the chat room to, uh, to make sure you have a VM handy or learn how a VM works so that way you could, you know, like you said, Mark, blow it away if it does blow something up before right. you use it on your, your Bane system. Um, but that also brings up the idea that if you're following a how-to from the website, like you brought up, Mark, um, I did the same thing with Fog when I was working to rebuild my database. I'm not a ba- database administrator. I don't quite understand all the database code, but I know enough not to do a drop table <laughs> right? <laughs> unless there's a reason for it. And, and also, uh, let's not be so conspiracy minded where they always think everybody's out to get us. This is a situation where a simple typo can do disastrous things. So the, the person who created the web tutorial uh, may have had all the best intentions and may have been the best expert in the field. And he hit uh, a semicolon instead of a colon, which, yeah. you know, if you're doing like a Perl script, 
could could be disastrous. So, uh, you know, it's just understand there's a risk you're going to take. And, and if you're working on your own machine, and, and that's what most of us are going to be doing here, right? We've got we've put Ubuntu on our own primary laptop and we've got a problem and we're going out and we're trying to fix that problem. Uh, this is where having backups <laughs> is essential oh. because you're just going to run into things like that, that it's, it's just going to happen. Um, yep. And you know, one of the things that I have here is uh, uh, don't pre-release software is pre-release for a reason. I ran into, I had a problem uh, about a year ago now where I installed the pre-release alpha of Ubuntu on my, my only laptop because I wanted to get to some cool new feature of it. And that was, you know, Ubuntu comes out in October and April, like clockwork. And I did this in like January. So it was really, really early on. Oh yeah. And totally hosed my system to the point where I had to completely reformat the hard drive. There was, because there's no uninstall generally speaking in Linux. Now, if you go through like the software center, you can sometimes uninstall there. But if you run a compile script or if you're uh, just running something that you downloaded, there's no uninstall. There's no way to clean up your mess. So uh, be just understand the risk you're taking and have as many backups as possible. You know, we, we've uh, said on this show many times, it's a good idea to have your home data on a separate partition. So that if you do uh, eat up your OS partition, you can wipe that out and not lose all your stuff. Um, so maybe one of the things that, uh, that we're saying here is not so much uh, don't do um, things, things not to do, but things to make sure you've done first. And backing up is certainly one of them. Yeah, I got bit by that just recently. Like I was saying, I was working with my fog installation at the school. You know, I was trying to recover um, the ability to type in just the host name into a web browser to get to the fog service or the, the fog website or not website, but the control website. Right. And when I copied the, the echo script, I didn't copy all of it. So then I only got a portion of the functionality that I needed yeah. and I couldn't understand why it was not working until I went back over and reread and I was going through the history from the, from the terminal. I went, Oh wait, I'm missing half of the paste. Right. So I had to go back over and fix all that. But or, it's or you one might, of those things. In copying and pasting, you might grab an extra space at the end or yep. leave out a necessary space at the end. Um, it's difficult to know. Yeah, it's it's one of those things to definitely and double check what you're doing before you do it. You know, if you're in a forum and they say, "Hey, run this, run this in your command line," and then you I always wait a day or two before I run said command because yeah. then you might get some feedback from the rest from of the community people. saying, no, don't run that, blah, blah, blah. That's yeah. dangerous. An another thing that I have, and Chris mentioned earlier, was FSCK, file system check. Um, that is the closest thing to check disk that the Linux world has. Uh, now, in, in the Windows world, we're all familiar with check disk. We've all run it or it has run itself at some point. And yep. it's generally non-destructive. It does a really good job of being non-destructive. FSCK does not care about your data at all, period. It will do a best effort to recover it, but if it makes a mistake or if it can't recover it, it doesn't care. So yep. I have, on two occasions, entirely destroyed mission-critical systems by running a file system check on it. 
Now, I have on a dozen occasions entirely repaired mission critical systems by running a file system check on it. So it's one of those things that can save your bacon or it can feed you to the wolves and there's really no way to know. Yep. One of the, well, one good thing to know about um, file system check is to make sure it's unmounted before doing it. Yes. And it will That's, give you a big, big warning. It says, don't do this on a live mounted file system. But if you don't know what that means, you know, and it'll say, do you want to continue? And in the Windows world, we're programmed to always answer, do you want to continue with yes? Um, exactly. That's, that's one of the ways I have destroyed it before. The system was mounted. It was live. I ran FSCK. It said, are you sure you want to do this? I said, sure. And it ate my uh, system entirely. It ate your bacon. Yes. It didn't, <laughs> it didn't save my bacon. It ate my bacon. Sorry, Charles, uh, in South Africa, we mentioned bacon again. Sorry about that. <laughs> But yeah, the, that's one of those. And if you need to know the mount and unmount commands, that's where that O'Reilly's book will come in handy, or a simple Google search, right. you know, for mount and unmount. Yeah, as Nightstar uh, is pointing out in the chat room, uh, several systems, namely uh, Debian-based systems, Ubuntu being one of them, have a, a, a an automatic force system check, where you it just won't let you boot the machine until it does a system check. And if you've got a, a multi-terabyte drive, that can take days. Um, and there and there's there are ways to turn that off, and I always do. But that system check tends to be very benign for the most part. It will alert you to errors, but not make any changes. So FSEK has different uh, features, and one is is find if there are any errors and don't do anything about it. And the other is find any errors and try to auto fix them. Never ever select auto fix. Just don't do <laughs> no it. <kidding>. Just <laughs> don't do it. Just say no. Oh, Pete's going to start a flame war on the thing. I see that already. <laughs> That's horrible, Pete. Why are you saying such a mean thing like that? Buying, <laughs> Vim is Vim is your friend. He's, he's saying use G-Edit instead of Vi, and there are Vi people in the world who, uh, um, who consider that heresy. Yep. Yeah, uh, yeah, Pete, I'll agree with you. It is okay for, for geeks, but you know what? If you know how to work Vim... Or Vi, I'm not going to try to start a flame war, but if you can, like, I'm I'm a Vim user. I use Vim and Vi all the time. Once you get once you get the hang of it, it's gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. I don't use it. I use I use <gasps> Gedit. I'm a text Seriously. guy. I want Notepad. Like, I want to be able to to search and replace and stuff from with mouse clicks. Oh, because um, you know when you're once you're in Vi, it's like okay, now what? I don't, I don't even, I don't need control Q X to get out. What does that even mean? What does that even mean? I mean, well, you got, you got to make sure that you do escape control or shift colon first too, because otherwise you can't, you're in edit mode and you right. got to drop out of edit. Right. And like control K S or I don't even, I have to look at every time I'm in Vi, I have a Google uh, search on the other side, you know, on another computer or another window saying, you know, how do I work this thing every time? Yeah, it it, does, it never hurts to have the Vi cheat sheet next Vi. <laughs> when I first learned, when I was first working with Vi and Vim, I had the cheat sheet printed out and posted on my wall next to me, just in case I forgot what the command was. Gosh, Pete, how old are you? You just brought up Edlin for crying out loud. Did you learn <laughs> to program in COBOL? <laughs> What's wrong with COBOL? <laughs> Do you want them alphabetically or chronologically? Uh, so anyway. Um, Another thing along the lines of don't just follow websites, 
your neighbor, cousin, friend, podcast host, who, uh. who knows all about computers, quote unquote, probably doesn't. And just because he tells you to do something doesn't mean it's gospel. I've had so many people, and, and they all have that exact same phrase, knows all about computers. And, and, and their friend who knows all about computers has totally hosed their system, and they're asking me to fix it. It happens all the time. I have a machine right there that did that. <laughs> and that came from a guy who, um, a business, I'm not going to name names, but there's a business somewhere around where I live that uh, hosed this laptop, and now it's brought to me to fix it. And the customer has probably spent enough to buy two laptops on the repair for this one. Yeah. So again, what do you, what 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 are you to do? I mean, do you not solicit help from those people? Uh, no, I wouldn't say that because they can be very helpful. Just understand what you're getting into. I guess that's oh, yeah. really the the overall message that we have here is do some due diligence and understand if your data is important to you, if your computer is important to you, um, be smart about what you do or what you allow other people to do. And when you're copying and pasting stuff off a website into your uh, system, you are literally letting somebody else control your computer. Yep. You might also have them sitting in your chair. And there have been times I've done that. I mean, I have literally given people a shared terminal session and said, do your thing. But that's you know, scary. <laughs> <laughs> but they're people I trust and people who yeah. I know, know what they're doing and don't have any um, intent to harm. And, and like I said, it may not be intent to harm. It may be simple ignorance. Uh, ignorance has wiped out more hard drives than any virus ever has. Oh, definitely. So, Mark, would you give me a, a shared terminal? <laughs> yes, Chris. I would trust you to to share the terminal um, on a VM. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, well, at least I, I guess that's what partial trust. Yeah. No, it, it, you're the command line Godfather. Of course, I trust you because you know someday you, you I may have a favor I can do for you. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Hey, let's just get some some more advertisers so we can get paid. That would work better. <laughs> <laughs> Getting paid would be nice. Um, okay, that's kind of all that I had on the list here. Uh, did you have anything else that you wanted to to mention? Learn the echo command. I guess that can be my command line tip. Um, echo is really handy for building config files. Um, it, it works really well because you can also read then what you're putting into the file before you do it. So um, echo works. It's just Echo whatever you want to put in a file with the file name, and then poof, that makes the file and puts the file uh, all that stuff in that file. Okay, and that works in almost any terminal, including yep. in Windows. Yep, it's yeah. a good it's a good one to know, especially if you're just that and the uh, greater than signs, so you can add or um, input output. Right. Well, it, yeah, it's input, and then it. One is to replace and one is to add to. I think that's how it works. One is replace everything in the file. Two greater than signs is an you amend the file, if I remember correctly. Does anyone know that? Any chat room people? Are they going to back me up on the, the greater than signs on that? Append is what? One or two greater than signs? I don't remember. Uh, two, I think. It's like yep. an arrow going in. Yep. yep. Yeah. Thanks, Pete. I thought it was two, but I wasn't 100%. Yeah, so replace is one. <laughs> well, that's that's command line foo for you right there, ladies and gentlemen. Definitely. And that's, you know, that's one of those when you're 
working in the terminal and you need to replace a whole slew of stuff like uh, the Samba um, edit file, if you hose that all together and you just want to start from scratch, that's a good one to know. And and let me uh, channel the GUI kid for a minute. If there is a GUI tool available for doing what you want to do, I recommend you use it. Or if there's a web tool, like uh, I, we've had this discussion many times. Chris is a, a command line guy. He wants to open Vim and do his thing. Um, I like tools like Webmin with the, with the SWAT configurator for, for doing Samba. It's push button. People have already um, pounded on that code and tested it and know that when you click this button, it's going to do the right thing every time. Whereas when you're just trusting yourself to the keyboard, um, you you don't have that uh, luxury of having uh, years of experience. If you do, if you're Chris and you've been and you carry the O'Reilly Pocket Guide to command lines <laughs> with you, then fine, go ahead. But I always recommend using a GUI if at all possible because what and 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 one of the reasons Chris doesn't like it, one of the reasons other people don't like it, is they write really sloppy config files. Yep, and it's like you you don't want to edit a web page. That was made by Front Page Express because it works, but oh. it's so ugly. All right, but if you're not a person who cares, if you're not going to be digging through that config file with the with the Vim ever, then use a GUI tool because that's going to do the right thing every time. And it's been tested, and it's been compiled, and it's been uh, been through many many different users. So there's my bit of advice there uh, in honor of the GUI kid. If possible, use a graphical or web based configuration tool. Now, Chris, rebut me all you want. I was going to say, yes, use the GUI tool until you learn the correct way of building your config files. Because then you can go into the config file, edit them however you want, make your notes in the file with the, the proper way of commenting out your notes. So then if you ever have to go back in and go, now, how did I, why did I do this? You have a way of noting your config file then. Where if you're just using your webmin or the, the SWAT configure, yeah, it's tough. <laughs> Pete in the chat room says, Alzheimer's means I meet new people every day and learn the shell scripting syntax every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would be, I would actually say that as well. Um, learn the shell syntax, so shell scripting, or learn some of your commands. You know, maybe not dig down deep into, say, learn C++ or Perl or something, but get a general knowledge of, of what the commands are doing when you're doing, say, the webmin thing. Yeah, it's funny. I was writing a script uh, for for the, the production house here to schedule the show releases so that I could edit a show and put it up and have it come out on a specific day. Early on, I was having to do that. I'd have to wait until like midnight every night to upload it. Um, and if I forgot, it wasn't there. So I, I worked on uh, a way to make this happen uh, automatically. And I was I was doing bash shell scripting and I, and I was hitting my head against a rock. And I went to the IRC chat room uh, for uh, bash. They, they have one on Freenode. And I, I typed in, hey, I, I want to do this. And I've got a couple of ideas. I think it might be this. I think it might be this. A guy wrote back with a one line, like two word command. It was <laughs> it was command and then a modifier that did everything I wanted to do. And I was like, no, oh! you know, so it's, it's good to have those command line godfathers on hand from time to time, because what I was trying to do in 50 steps, he had me do in two words. 
Yeah, that's way over me. That's like the command God compared to yeah. the Godfather. He's that 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 type of guy would be. He's the bandana guy that we used to refer to in right. the in your show. But yeah, that he's a little bit higher up than I am in the old food chain. And uh, and it it worked perfectly. And now I don't even know who he was, but every week or, or six times a week now, shows go out on schedule because of the because of the two word command. He uh, he knew that I didn't, so uh, it was great. And and what I thought was cool was he didn't give me everything I needed. He said this line will do this, and then you can follow up the logic to do the rest of it. So he made me learn on my own too, which was nice. Which you know those type of people are ones you want to have in your group of people that you contact when you have an issue. Um, I would rather have that type of a person in my corner that said this is what you should start with. And then you have to learn the syntax on your own. Then someone who says, just do this. Right. Yeah. Teach a man to fish, feed him for his life. That whole thing. Yep. Confucius say man who live in glass house should dress in basement, you know? <laughs> oh, well, thanks Pete. <laughs> I just got a nice little compliment. I've heard that one a lot though. I am the exception. <laughs> the exception to the command line geek who can actually speak English. <laughs> he said most command line geeks are such autistic jerks. Uh, well, maybe not autistic, maybe Tourette's. They will curse, curse at you for no reason. Um, either that, I would say either that or what's Zuckerberg? What's his Asperger's. little thing? He's a, yeah. Yes. Which, which he doesn't, has ever never come out to have, but somebody said that once and it stuck. So anyway, I think that's it. We've we've given you uh, an end, uh, a command line tip and an end user GUI tip, and we didn't even mean to. So uh, we're doing other, really good. That's right, <laughs> and we're right at fifty minutes, so we're we're in good shape for time wise. So any final comments before we say good night, Chris? Good night, and I hope you guys don't get a big tax return. <laughs> <laughs> but I also hope you don't get a big tax bill. That's right. And so with that. I will say that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Linux.